Considering Personality Typologies on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, I am delighted to have with us Dr. Ren Cherry. Ren actually serves here at ACBC on staff. He's our Director of Finances and Donor Relations. He's also an adjunct professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, teaching in biblical counseling. He's married to Terry. He has two grown children, Jack and Carly. And Ren and his family served as missionaries for five years, and that was uh, added to some of his ministerial experience, as well as uh, he served as an associate pastor for five years as well. We love having the Cherries here in Kansas City with us. They are like family to the Johnsons, and they're uh, the the fun aunt and uncle uh, to the Johnson kids, and we, we love them dearly. But I, I can't wait for us to talk today about a very serious subject, I think, in Christendom right now, and it's a, a subject that we need to consider very carefully. Uh, Ren just finished his doctoral degree, uh, his PhD, and uh, he wrote on this very important subject, the Enneagram, and with his writing and research, uh, he learned a lot about different personality typologies, and I want to challenge him today. I almost feel like uh, we should request that everyone pay tuition. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful lesson that we learn through uh, through the the podcast today. And I think a, a very interesting and very relevant subject as we talk about personality typologies and also uh, specifically the Enneagram. We're going to do a series of these uh, podcasts talking about the Enneagram. And so I want you to hang with us through this series. It'll be three or four that we work through here to... Um, to introduce you to some ideas about the Enneagram, and we're going to give sort of a, a deep background, a consideration theologically of what it is and how it's used, and uh, so that we can consider these things biblically. So, uh, Ren, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so delighted that you're uh, serving with us. I get to see you on a daily basis, and it's a delight, certainly for our family, that you're here. And um, I, I love the way that you serve ACBC, and this research, I think, is going to be very, very valuable uh, to our Christian community. Well, thank you, brother, for having me on Truth and Love. Uh, I am thankful for your leadership and your service to the staff here at ACBC, uh, to your own family, and to me as your brother in the Lord. And I'm also thankful for your willingness to address this topic of the Enneagram. It's a hot topic for sure, and many of our members and listeners have uncertainty or confusion about this very issue. Now, Ryan, this issue is uh, is critical, as you mentioned, and uh, you've recently written a, a doctoral dissertation on this subject. And as a part of his doctoral research, he is transitioning that into a more popular book that will be coming out in the summer or the fall of 2021. We pray it's called Enneagram Theology. Is it Christian? And I am looking forward to this book. I think it's going to be a great contribution to our Christian community and to churches as they sort through and think biblically about these personality types that are that are flourishing everywhere. So first, what I want to do, Ren, if we can, is we acknowledge very clearly that every single process of discipleship or counseling system is a philosophy. It, it is a worldview that's intended to be employed together. It's a way of thinking about life. It's how to how to understand people, how to understand their problems, and how we change as people. And, and we're not saying that 
those who claim to, to use this in Enneagram have faulty motives, that they desire wrong things. I, I think they want to help people. I think that's their goal. Um, but we have to be careful in how we approach uh, the change of people and how we understand people from a, a, a specific worldview and a system. And so I would say most people that counsel others have a desire to help people. I say that often. Uh, and, and they want people to, to change. But we have to find a system that is consistent with the Scriptures in order to, to flesh that out properly. And sometimes what happens when people feel inadequate, they begin to turn to other, other systems. Uh, and in this case, people are turning to personality typologies and personality testings to sort of give language and expression to what people are experiencing. So uh, you spent the last several years researching the Enneagram. Tell us how you became interested in this uh, very popular system. Yeah, well, many years ago in a land far, far away, I was part of a Christian organization that relied heavily on personality testing and typing for both hiring decisions and personal conflict management, mainly in a team environment. But what I found is that the benefits associated with personality typologies, I found those to be lacking, practically speaking. And so years later, when I began studying biblical counseling formally, I became more aware of the influences of secular philosophies and therapies in churches and Christian institutions. And I began to question whether or not these philosophies had an appropriate place in the evangelical community. So I started reading on the topic of personality typology. And at one point, I thought I would even research and write on the Myers-Briggs type indicator, uh, specifically about Carl Jung's influence on Catherine Briggs and her daughter, Isabella Myers. I had a personal interest in Myers-Briggs because it was a system embraced by the Christian organization where my family and I served. And so I had a unique interest based on my own personal experience with that particular system. But then something really interesting happened. Okay, what was that interesting thing? And uh, I think I remember being a part of some of this discussion when this interesting thing happened. So tell us a little bit more about that, Ray. Yeah, well, yeah, you and I had a conversation, and I remember it vividly. You, you brought to my attention that Myers-Briggs was now somewhat passe and not as popular as it used to be. And because Myers-Briggs was not as in vogue as it used to be, any research and writing that I might have done would probably have some type of limited benefit to the academic field. So you suggested that I research the Enneagram and its growing popularity among evangelical Christians. Now, just as a side note, personality typologies have notorious patterns of being fashionable or trendy for a limited amount of time only. So in other words, they tend to have a limited shelf life. That is, they, they tend to be replaced by the next new system that comes along. Now, I think that's true. If we look back at history, we can see sort of the ebb and flow of these different typologies. And um, as we think about the ebb and flow of, uh, of these typologies and their popularity, is this a new phenomenon of the ebb and flow? Well, man's desire to have some, quote, objective means to explain himself to himself, it's not new at all. So over the last 150 to 200 years, in Western culture in particular, there's been a lot of emphasis placed on developing personality tests. And these tests are really man's attempt to reduce himself from a complex, changing, sometimes even conflicting person into a sort of neat category. So personality tests typically produce results in the forms of labeling and grouping of individuals. And each test usually has its own unique vocabulary for describing who people are according to that particular system. 
So what you're saying is is that the Enneagram is is certainly not the first of its kind, and it fits sort of categorically into this broader body of personality typologies and, and understanding personalities and that sort of thing. So what are some of the examples of, of previously popular personality tests or, or indicator types, uh, and how have these things changed in your mind? Well, let's say that you and I lived 150 years or so ago. We would have been on the cutting edge of personality testing science, as it was labeled, if we'd had our heads read by a phrenologist. Okay, time out, time out. So help our uh, listeners understand what in the world is uh, phrenology, what in the world is a phrenologist, and what in the world does it mean to have your head read? Okay, so phrenology at the time, mid-1850s, was labeled the science of the mind. And the theory held that the shape and the size of a person's cranium, literally their skull, was an indicator of their character or mental ability. So according to the, quote, science of phrenology, when certain parts of the brain were well used, they expanded and pushed up the skull and produced a noticeable bulge in your skull. And so a trained expert phrenologist would feel a person's head bumps and rate them on a scale of one to seven. I think they had 37 different character or personality areas. So phrenology, like other personality typing systems that would follow, also developed its own vocabulary for describing these supposed personality traits. So as early as the mid-1800s, we see potential employers begin to require written phrenology reports from job candidates. And, and the thinking was that these reports themselves were presented as being more impartial and reliable but they effectively took the place of personal recommendations. Now, the poet and novelist Walt Whitman, he was a big proponent of phrenology, and even two U.S. presidents during the 1800s had their heads read. So you can see that while it was quite popular, it required a trained expert to read the bumps on your head. A person could not do it to themselves. So this is really interesting. I, I I love looking back at history, and this is one of the the things that that I've enjoyed to study. And and phrenology was very impactful in the mental health asylum system. Uh, I, I don't often recommend uh, movies, and I don't necessarily recommend this one, but it's an interesting movie called Professor and the Madman, where you can actually see in the asylum the mad doctor is doing this phrenology type testing on one of the patients. And this was very, it was an accurate description and picture of, of what happened uh, in using this personality type. But th that's sort of old and, and it's been recognized as being uh, pseudoscience at best, even, even more that it, it, it was just a mythology even. But what are some more modern types of tests that we may know a little bit more about? Okay, so by the early, like, 1930s, another personality test that became very popular in America was Rorschach ink blots. They were formed by folding paper where ink drops had been placed. And the Rorschach utilized trained experts, again, usually psychologists or psychiatrists, to present ink block cards, and then they would record how the client describes what he sees. So the Rorschach, and it's still used today, focuses not so much on what someone saw, but on how they saw what they saw. So the inkblot tests were popular at notable universities like Columbia and Cornell. They are still quite popular in schools, really prisons, even the military, to delineate general personality characteristics. But again, it required a trained expert to interpret the results. This is significant. Okay, um, There's another couple of personality typologies worth noting. Uh, the, there's one called the Minnesota 
Multiphasic Personality Inventory, MMPI, developed also in the 1930s, somewhat in reaction to Rorschach ink blots. Okay, so it was, it was developed at the University of Minnesota Mental Hospital. Its current form today has well over 500 questions. So it starts to, we start to see a shift of, from artistic interpretation to more scientific approach. What you would label scientism, I would too. So it was developed somewhat in response to that. Uh, the MMPI moved quite intentionally away from being considered a test. And, and we see this language of indicators start to be adopted. So even though it was originally designed to classify mental patients, mm-hmm. the MMPI is still currently used to screen potential hires. And again, it requires a trained expert. Yeah, to understand it. And anybody who has taken an intro to psychology class uh, has probably heard of these personality typologies, and they understand a little bit about where these things came from. And, and you do see the morphing, the, the ebbing and flowing of these uh, of these things. But, but that's not all. There are a couple of others. You mentioned mm-hmm. earlier the Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. and, and that one would be a good one to talk about as well. So around the same time as Rorschach ink blocks were being developed, uh, as well as MMPI, a lady named Catherine Briggs, early 1930s, uh, was converted literally to Carl Jung's psychology, and she set her efforts to bring Jung's theories to the masses. She developed a tool for people to categorize themselves into one of 16 personality types. Her daughter, Isabella Myers, would eventually standardize this version of self-discovery with the questionnaire that became the current Myers-Briggs type indicator. Now, let me ask you, Dale, who answers the questions on a Myers-Briggs questionnaire? Now, now this is an interesting turn, Ren. I think that, that we shouldn't just brush over. I think it's important that we, we note that this is self-reporting. It, it is us describing how we feel. And the, the, the lack of objectivity often on how we feel, especially when the Bible describes that, that our hearts are deceitful and wicked who can know it, we struggle to know our own hearts, what we're feeling at a given moment, or why something is happening, or why we explain things the way we do, or why we interpret something the way we interpret it, or why we had this experience, or why we had that experience. And oh my goodness, if we're just honest with ourselves for a moment, how flawed often our interpretations of our experiences are. Uh, And then we're trying to self-report on some of these things and then describe it as if it's some sort of objective science. I I think that starts to dip our toe into water of things that are dangerous and would certainly be less than what we would consider appropriate in in true legitimate science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a significant point. We see in Myers-Briggs a shift in control from the trained experts of phrenology and the MMPI to the person who wants to know who he is. You see, we begin to see, for lack of a better word, the brilliance of personality typologies like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram because, to some degree, these systems give people what they want. They give them the ability to, quote, understand themselves on their own terms. That is to say, to a large degree, you can be whoever you want to be because you are the one answering the questions about you. And this is an important distinction of systems like the Enneagram, whether you're asking Uh, questions on an online test and answering them, reading a book or attending a workshop about the Enneagram, you are the arbiter of which label and group gets applied to you. Now, time out. We got to discuss this because this is important. These are the types of things, folks, when you're you're 
paying attention to what's being popular and vogue at the time, you have to begin to see and, and compare these things biblically. Biblically, what we see is that the only way we understand the type of person that we are is not by our own judgments, not by asking the wisdom of the culture or, or wisdom that comes from below, as the Scripture describes. The Bible makes very clear that it is the Holy Spirit who unveils and helps us to see the type of person that we are, that He illuminates the heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We also see in James chapter 1, verse 25, that it's when we look into the perfect law of liberty that we see the type of person that we really are. And the Bible tells us if we walk away from that, if, we, if we're not a doer of the Word, we really don't even at that point understand who we are. So it takes us looking, gazing, allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. That's what exposes us. That's what helps us to see who we are, not some personal assessment. And I think that's a part of your point here, Ian, is you're helping us to see that this transition was not a small transition. Now this this shifts into more of a psychodynamic, humanistic style of psychological approach and really services the person to become the person that they want to be or to describe the person that they wish they were or some sort of evaluation. And that's a really key and critical point. I want to add to that, Dale. In the end, personality typing and testing make swift judgments about people. The trained experts or the test themselves serve as the authority that assigns people a label and a group. And these labels and these groups are often welcomed by the people who take the test. In other words, most people feel some type of relief by being labeled and grouped. So let me just submit here that there's a danger in believing that because you have labeled a person, you therefore understand that person, including yourself. Or even more scary is the illusion that self-mastery comes from self-knowledge, according to a man-made system. So I think we can all agree that the Enneagram is currently the most popular self-knowledge tool among Christians. But an evaluation of Enneagram theology face-to-face with an orthodox evangelical theology really calls into question whether or not the Enneagram is appropriate for use in Christian churches and institutions. So I hope today's been helpful, and I hate to do this to you all, but we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to wait until next week to understand a little bit more specifically about the Enneagram. And so what I want you to do is come back next week because we're out of time today, and I want us to talk about this issue of the Enneagram. So what I want you to do is come back and visit us next week on the podcast, Ren, and we're going to talk specifically about the origins of the Enneagram. We're going to talk about exactly what it is, and a lot of people are familiar with it to some degree. Some some have heard of it, and they may know a little bit about it, but maybe not. So uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that next week in a way that I think will be very helpful to our listeners. So join us again next week. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, I want you to hear very clearly, I think this is a very uh, delicate but very critical issue, and I think the Enneagram is, is sweeping across churches like wildfire. And again, I don't think anyone is is intentionally sweeping minds and I, and hearts away from the Scriptures. I don't think that's the intention, but we have to be cautious and careful. And I, I just want to challenge anyone who uses it, please begin first by doing a biblical analysis. And in the podcast, in the the coming days, we're going to address this from a theological perspective. We're going to look at some of the origins so you can be very aware of what's under the hood. 
And I want you to see it from that level before you ever make a decision about utilizing some resource like this. And one of the most exciting things that I think that's come out of this is, is the book that I mentioned earlier that, that Ren is producing uh, later this fall is Enneagram Theology, Is It Christian? And it, it's a proper look historically and theologically at this tool that people use that's becoming very popular in evangelicalism. In fact, I'm asking Ren to do a breakout session at our uh, conference this year in Charlotte, North Carolina at Hickory Grove Baptist Church, October 4th through the 6th. And I want you to join us for that very important conference. And this would be one of the great breakouts that I think uh, you could you could learn quite a bit about the Enneagram uh, and be very conversant, think theologically and biblically about this very important typology. So you can find more information about our annual conference, O Church Arise, Reclaiming a Culture of Care, on our website at biblicalcounseling.com.